Thank you, Grayson and worship team. Man. There's only one perfect Father. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the fighting faith of fathers. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Some of y'all may have trouble getting your Bible to turn there because we've been in Philippians so long. But just kind of break that seal and get it to go a few more books back toward Revelation. You'll run across 1 Timothy. Uh, I want to talk to you just a little bit about fathers, but I think I need to kind of put some cards on the table this morning. Uh, I loved my dad. I want to be clear about that. I love my dad, but I had a uh, not-so-good father growing up. I remember seeing pictures of me as a little kid, and I remember, I remember little times when dad took me fishing and stuff when I was little, but then my dad's addiction kind of took over, and I was on the back burner. And so for years, me and my dad had a really rough relationship because my dad wanted to stay home and drink. He didn't want to go to my ball games. He didn't want to take me fishing. And so for years, I didn't have a good father, a good relationship with him. And then when I was 26, I met the good, good father. And that changed my entire perspective. And then eight years later, uh, through a lot of prayer and, and a lot of uh, just God moving, my dad came to faith in Christ. I got the joy and privilege of baptizing my dad two months before we had his funeral. And so I have a good relationship with my dad now. And one day for eternity, I'm going to be reunited with him. Um, in my life, God has seen fit to give me several great father figures. Uh, James Pickering, my pastor at Westside and Florella, has been a father figure to me. Jerry Grandstaff uh, from Dothan has been a father figure to me. And then a few years ago, my mom met Joe Green, and she married him. And, and you know, I was a grown man. I was in my 40s. I, my kids were, you know, getting grown. And I really was like, you know, that's nice for you, Mom, and all that. But I don't really need that. But God had a different plan. Uh, Joe has been a great encouragement to me, a great uh, sounding board for me, a, a prayer partner. And so just want to say happy birthday to Joe Green, uh, happy Father's Day to Joe Green. Uh, he has been a lot to me, and Joe's battling cancer right now, and uh, he's, he's had a rough go of it, uh, but he's been trudging along and fighting the good fight, and so uh, just want to tell him how much I love and appreciate him. This is also our first Father's Day without my father-in-law, and so it's, uh, I told April, you know, she's been through this with her mom and been through this with my dad, but the firsts are always hard. Uh, yesterday was her first birthday without him, and today is her first Father's Day without him, so it's been a, it's been a mixed emotions kind of a weekend for us. Um, but, but I want to talk about Father's Day, and I want to talk to our fathers in particular, but I want to talk to the rest of you too, so don't feel like if you're not a dad here this morning that you don't have any part in this service, you do. Uh, but let's just be honest, Father's Day is lower in ranking and doesn't get the same attention as Mother's Day. Two services, guys. Nobody in the, t nobody in the early service did it. Guys, this is your chance to Amen. There we go. All right. I'm, I'm here. Fellas. I'm fine for y'all guys. Y'all come on. Get in here and fight with me, okay? Woodrow Wilson declared Mother's Day a national holiday in, in 1914, but it wasn't until 1972 that Father's Day was recognized as officially. According to a study from 2019, the total spent on fathers for Father's Day is $16 billion. For mothers, $25 billion. And somebody, Neil, Neil uh, McKeever in the first service said it, it goes that way the rest of the year too. That's probably fair. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, fathers show up on church, uh, for, on Father's Day for church to be berated. Mother's Day, they, the mothers show up to be celebrated. But I hope not to do that to you today. I'm here to tell you that fathers play a unique role 
and they have a unique perspective. I heard a story of a mother, uh, she'd given birth, and she was in the room, and, and she kind of had been a nap, and she woke up, she looked around, and nobody was there. And so she went down to the nursery to look, and she, when she got close to the nursery, she saw the dad, and he was staring intently, just staring at the baby, and she was like, he, he's... And so she walked up there, and she just watched him for a long time. He had this look of awe on his face, and he's just staring, and st- immovable, like a, mat, like, a, like a statue, just staring. And she was so moved, she was like, And so she couldn't stand. She came around and she just wrapped her arms around him and she hugged him real close and leaned into his ear. And she said, honey, what are you thinking? It's amazing, isn't it? He said, it sure is. You'd think for what we're paying, that crib would be made of gold. <laughs> so we have a unique perspective. We bring a unique view of things. Let me give you a couple of statistics. Uh, according to a study on Sunday school, when the father and the mother attended Sunday school, 72% of the time their children would be attenders of Sunday school as adults. And I want you to hear my heart. I don't want a bunch of church members. I want a bunch of small group members because discipleship happens in small groups. Discipleship life goes on, and we need that constant connection in small group, and that's where we make those bonds, and that's where we really learn about the Word. I'm in here firing a machine gun or a scatter gun or a fire hose, whatever analogy you want to use. I'm throwing truth, and I'm, I'm whizzing nuggets out there. trying to. You grab what you can. You write down what you can when you're awake. And I try to yell every once in a while to make sure you're awake. No, I don't, I don't do it for that reason. But, but, but all I can do here is just scatter and throw. But in Sunday school, in small groups, you can break it apart and you can ask questions and you can really dive in. So that's important. When both parents go, 72% of the times the kids attend when they're grown. 55% of the time when only the father is in Sunday school. And 15% when the mother only attends Sunday school. I'm a 15%er. Glory to God, I'm a 15 percenter. My mom took me to church. My dad sent me to church. There's, two, there's a stark difference between those two, man. According to another study that Lifeway did several years ago, when a child comes to faith in Christ, a little over three, about three and a half percent of the time, the rest of the family is one to Jesus. When the mother comes to faith in Christ, it's only a little bit better. About 17% of the time, the family is one to Jesus. But listen, when a father is brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, 93% of the time, the rest of the family draws closer to Jesus as well. Now let me give you some some less uh, encouraging statistics. I don't want to lose you here, okay? So don't. This is a, this is a downer, but just hang with me. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, about 7 out of every 10 youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities, including detention centers and residential treatment centers, about 7 out of 10 come from fatherless homes. About 75% of adolescent patients being treated in substance abuse centers come from fatherless homes. And about 75% of rapists, of convicted rapists, said they were motivated by displaced anger that's associated with feelings of abandonment that involves their father. I I didn't give you those DOJ stats to make you sad. I gave you those DOJ stats to drive home the fact that fathers play a critical role. If you want to fix a nation, you fix a state. And if you want to fix states, you fix families. And if you want to fix families, you fix dads. I tell people I had an absentee father that slept 30 feet from me. It was because he was, he was addicted to alcohol, and that was his focus. And I can tell you as a 47-year-old grown-up with two kids and a wife, 
I can tell you there's still scars that I deal with from those. I'm not, I feel like I'm up here trying to get y'all to, I'm either, I need any of the couch to lay on and tell you all my troubles, or it sounds like I'm trying to get sympathy. I'm not, I'm just telling you, I'm giving you my story so you understand where I'm coming from, that I understand the importance of a present father, a present dad. So let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you would stand with me, we're going to read 11 through 16. And just to give you some background, the, 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 the passage before this, the, the section of verses before this, he's talking about fa- false doctrine and human greed. And so he uses some of these things like, uh, you know, uh, they imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Uh, and he says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, those who want to be rich fall into a trap. Uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So he, he's laying out all these bad things that are going on. And then he does this in verse 11. Now you... All right, you see that pivot? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pivot move, okay? That, that's a shucking job, and we're moving in a different direction. We're going to, hey, all that stuff is going on. Hey, but you, now you, man of God, run from these things. Your translation may say, flee from these things. But pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and have made a good confession before many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom none of mankind can, has seen or can see, to whom be honor and eternal might. Amen. Now let me just give you a warning. I'm not going to be able to get into 15 and 16 today, but just if you missed that, go back and read those two verses later. Talking about who, who this God is that we serve. What a great encapsulation of that. All right, let's pray. Father God, I beg you today to speak through your servant and through your word for your glory and for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so he tells us some things here. The first thing he tells us to do is to flee, to run. Again, that now you or but you is a pivot. It's a, trans, it's, a, it's a break from the patterns he was talking about previously. And then he uses this phrase, man of God. Now, I wrote this in my Bible. Man of God, this means he follows God in every way and lives only for him. Now, the first challenge here, we, we're only a few minutes into this sermon, but listen, you got to hear me. That's the first challenge for every one of you men out there. Can I say that about you? Can somebody say that about you, that you are a man of God? Not, not a church-going man, not a Christian man. I've, I told, told the first service, I've gotten to where I don't even like that term anymore because it's been hijacked by the culture. It, it's, it's turned into, Christian has turned into a, uh, it's, it's you must be from the South, or you're Republican, or you're, you, know, you, you have a certain mindset. Christian is little Christ, that's who I want to be affiliated with, but they've, that word has kind of been polluted. So, so I want to I focus your attention on this. This is not asking you just to be a regular church attender or, or to be a good person or do good things or, or put a bumper sticker on your car that says, you know, what would Jesus do or, 
or something like that. You've, you've heard the story about the guy that uh, they got uh, arrested. He was sitting at a red light, and uh, there was, he was a car in front of him, and the light turned green, and the, and the car didn't move. They fell asleep or something, and he starts honking the horn and cussing and carrying on, and there was a cop behind him, and he got out, and he grabbed him out of his car and threw him up against the car and cuffed him and stuffed him and took him to jail. And he said, why would you take me to jail? And he said, you, you get in the car. And he got down there, and the car, officer came in to apologize to him. He said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to let you go. He said, well, why would you arrest me to begin with? He said, well, I saw that follow me to church bumper sticker on your car, and then when you went to cussing and ranting and raving, I assumed you must have stolen that car. Man of God is a man who follows God in every way and lives only for Him. And that's the challenge I put before you today because that's the challenge that God has put before all of us when we read this verse. When we read this passage of Scripture, we're supposed to turn away from all the negativeness, flee from all the, the immorality, and we're supposed to be known as somebody who is completely sold out for God. And so he says, run from these things. Your translation may say, flee from these things. What he's talking about is false doctrines, false teachers, envy, quarreling, slanders, evil suspicions, constant disagreements, and the love of money. In other words, what we would say in 2020 is run from politics. <laughs> run from social media. Or at least run from the comment section, okay? Does that describe you? A man of God who flees from all this other stuff, the negativity, the hate, the, the love of money, the pridefulness, the arrogance. Does that describe you? Here's what I'm going to tell you. If it doesn't describe you, flee. Run. You know what flee? When I, when I hear flee, I think of I'm walking through the, uh, through the zoo and somebody says, hey, the tiger has gotten out. Hey, everybody. Uh, Thank you for coming to the zoo, everybody. I would like to welcome you to the zoo today. Uh, just want to give everybody a heads up. The tiger has escaped from the... I'll be like this. I wouldn't be like, oh, the tiger escaped. Yeah, well, I guess we're going to the... Where's my key? Let's go into the car. I'd be like this. Uh, welcome to the zoo, everybody. We thank you for being here, and uh, we just want to let you know the tiger... <laughs> I, I hope that I would remember to grab April and the kids. I'm going to be honest. I'm just being honest. I hope that I... But this word flee means dig, run, get, scat, hightail it, not stroll, flee. So if you haven't done that yet, flee. Listen, if you are, if it does describe you, keep fleeing. Because let me tell you what I know about all these negative personality traits, all these sinful desires, all this negativity that Paul's talking about. Listen to me, if you slow up a, a step, it'll be breathing down your throat. Until Christ comes or you die and go see Jesus, they will chase you. They will be pursuing you for the rest of your walk with Jesus. So you better flee. You better build fences and you better get to running. So here Paul tells us the first thing we ought to do is flee. The second thing he tells us to do is to follow. And I want to make this clear. He says, but pursue. And then he has this list of things. Now what pursue is not is chase. It doesn't say chase. Because Chase, anybody watch Rocky? Anybody like Rocky? I love Rocky. There you go, Adrian. My impressions are getting worse. <laughs> but I do do a, I, I do a good, uh, I do a good Meredith Baxter though. You gotta be greasy fast. That's what he tells Rocky. So what does he do? You gotta be greasy fast, like an Italian tiger. So what he tells him to do is he tells him to chase this chicken. He puts him in an alley. And he, he turns this chicken loose, and, he's, and Rocky's chasing this chicken. That's chasing. 
And listen, when, if you're chasing something, you're going to look like Rocky chasing that chicken. But it doesn't tell us to chase. It tells us to pursue. Pursuit is laser-focused. Pursuit is intentional. When I, when I got April to marry me, when I chased her down, it wasn't just like willy-nilly. I pursued her. I made her my goal. It was my intention to spend more time with her, to, to get to know her, to, to get, let her get to know me, and to, to build a relationship. It's, it's intentional. And so when he tells you to pursue, he's talking about lock in and don't, don't get distracted, but lock in and focus on these things. And the first one is righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Simply put, it's doing what God sees as right. Doing what God sees, not, not, not what you see as right, not what this magazine or newspaper says is right, not what this politician or, or whatever. It's, it's what God sees as right. By the way, there is no truth outside of Jesus. The Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we're to go... Pursue what God sees as right. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, not even one. And that's because of what Isaiah 64.6 says. All of us have become like something unclean, and our righteous acts are, a polluted, are like a polluted garment. Without Christ, without that intentionality of pursuing what things that God sees as right, your righteousness, your things that you think are so great, are like a, a filthy rag. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in, watch it, righteousness. Why? Why does the Bible do that? Because we need to be trained in righteousness. Why? Because if you don't get trained by the book in righteousness, you're going to pursue what you think is right. And what you think is right, what I think is right, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's wrong. So we're to pursue what God says is right. And the second thing is to pursue godliness. Godliness is conforming to the laws and wishes of God. Being godly means conforming yourself to the wishes and the laws of Almighty God. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. He's talking about people who, who fake it. He's saying avoid these people. He says, hey Timothy, you're going to have people in your church that... Hold to the form of godliness. In other words, they, they get their suit on, they come to church, and they're like, good morning, brother, good morning, sister. So they hold to the form of godliness, but they deny the power. You know, what the, you know what the power of godliness is? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There's salvation in no other. That's what real godliness is. The form of godliness can look like it, but it's a cheap copy. It's a second-hand copy of true godliness. 1 Timothy 6, 6, back up there, in the, just before what we read, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice that's contentment, not complacency. Part of the problem in the American church today is we've, we've lost our focus on contentment and we've settled for complacency. The next thing he tells us to pursue is faith. And this is a belief that leads to action. I love, that, I love that definition. Faith is a belief, but it doesn't stop there. It leads to action. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the reality of what's hoped for, the proof if, of what is not seen. Now, when I was teaching college and career uh, at a former church, I forgot we're streaming now, so I don't want <laughs> to use too many details. 
Uh, but we had a kid in the class, and he was very intelligent, very bright. Loved this kid. Still do love the kid. But he was, he was just, he was one of those, eh. Some of y'all teachers, I know when I said that, you thought of somebody. All right, repent. All of y'all. But, but you get that person who they just, they, they study and they see things a different way. So I would say something, and you would just hear him go, eh. <sighs> yes, what is it? What? What? You know, like, it just, I know you're going you're gonna to contradict something I said. And so I was talking about the faith, and I was actually, I, you know, uh, Peyton used to say I have like five stories. <laughs> you hush. I'll fire you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just teasing. But they all, the, the youth, the college group would always say, well, he's got like five stories. All right, well, this partly is true because I was telling the story of the Indiana Jones in the, in the Last Crusade that I used as an analogy a couple weeks ago. And I was talking about this leap of faith. And I said, it's a blind leap. Yeah. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Oh, yeah, what, what, what? You got something to say to that? Well, yeah, because we have the Holy Spirit, you know, God has given us Holy we don't. It's not really a blind leap because the Holy Spirit does this. And I'm like, okay. And then this kid who had been saved like six months, just rough, you know, redneck kid, uh, still love this kid too. He goes, um, hey, Brother Kevin, doesn't the Bible say, though, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? And I got that big Grinch smile across my face. And I just looked over to the other kid. And he's like, well, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> so this, this is what I think about. It's that substance of things not seen. It's that belief that leads to action. Listen to me. If you've got a belief that's never led you to action, you have demonic faith, according to James. And let's see where that gets them. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to be honest with you because it's life or death. It's heaven or hell. It's eternity separated from God or eternity with God, whether you can get it from here to here to here. It can't just be head knowledge. It's got to be heart knowledge that leads to activity, and that's what faith is. James 2.26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. It's a corpse, and it stinks. The next thing he tells us to pursue is endurance. I'm sorry, is love. And it's not just love like affection or camaraderie. It's that agape is the Greek word. It's, it's godly love. It's Christ-like love. It's full love. Uh, John 15, 13, no one has greater love, agape, than this, that someone would lay his life down for his friends. Romans 13, 10, agape, love, does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Let me tell you what love does not do. Love does not hate someone because of the color of their skin. Love does not hate someone because of their political party. Love does not hate someone because their views differ from yours or because their sin looks different than yours. Agape, Christ-like, godly, complete, and total and full love is that you love them enough to tell them the truth. And we're to pursue that, Paul's telling us. Then the next one is endurance. Endurance is defined as continuing commitment in the face of adversity. Hebrews 12.1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Can I ask you something this morning? Are you struggling not, if you're struggling with hope? If you're struggling with hope, let me tell you why. Let me tell you just a possibility, all right? Let me do like one of these teledoc visits and I'm going to give you a diagnosis from the stage. If you're struggling with hope, maybe it's because you don't have proven character. And maybe you don't have proven character because you don't have endurance. And maybe you don't have endurance because you've never really known affliction for Christ. 
Let me tell you something. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus Christ said that. In this world, you, if you follow me, is what he's saying. Jesus says, if you follow me in this world, you are going to have trouble. Stop telling people the worst lie we've ever told them. Give your life to Jesus and all your problems go away. There's a Hebrew phrase for that. It's called bull butter. It's not true. And it's not, even, it's not just that it's not true. It's deadly. Because in this world, you will have trouble. We will have affliction. But look. Afflictions produce endurance. What's what, what is endurance? It's continuing commitment in the face of adversity. If you're going to run a marathon, you should have started last week or last month or last year or five years ago. Here's the problem in the American church today. A lot of times we tell you, hey, welcome to church, and you say you made a profession, and we don't, quite, we don't push you on it because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to ask you any, any real hard questions. Well, I'm a Christian. All right, what does that mean? <gasps> Does that mean you've tr truly trusted Jesus Christ? You've com committed, you know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you've surrendered your life to Him, you've committed your life to Him, and you'll follow no other? Do you believe that? We don't want to question people because we want to hurt their feelings, so we just let them in the church, and we let them in the church and tell them everything's going to be okay. And then they get in church, you've told them everything's going to be okay, and then they get a cancer diagnosis. Or then they, they lose a loved one, or they lose a child, they lose a job, they, their, their marriage goes to, to, to pot, and they, and they lose, have a divorce. And then they come out to you and go, hey, hey man, what about this Jesus, man? You sold me this Jesus saying it would make my problems go away, and ever since I've been coming to Jesus and coming to church, it just, I have problems all the time. Yeah, that's how it works. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. Nobody. You will have trouble. You will have tribulations. You will have problems. But then he says, but nevertheless, I have overcome the world. So it's understanding afflictions are coming and knowing that it's going to be okay anyway. Listen, me and April have had our troubles. We watched her mom battle cancer for five years and then die at 44 years old. Her dad passed away at 60. My dad at 64. A miscarriage job loss, moving and building and selling and buying and all this just chaos of life. But you know what I know? <laughs> you know what I know? Those reflections, and the Bible tells me they're coming, so I might as well just hunker down and get ready. And what I know is that those afflictions are going to produce endurance. You know why they're going to produce endurance? The same reason the marathon runner can run a marathon, because they have to build up endurance. You don't build up endurance by coming to church and sitting in silence and trying, hoping nobody ever asks you about your faith and really not ever asking anybody else to come to church or telling anybody else about your Jesus. That doesn't build endurance. What builds endurance is stepping out there and saying, all right, God, use me. I, well, I don't know enough. Neither do I. You're never going to know enough because the enemy's always going to tell you that you don't know anything. They don't want to listen and he's going to be in your ear telling you all this stuff. But endurance produces proven character and proven character results in hope. Then he also tells us to, to pursue gentleness. I love that phrase because a lot of times we misread, we think gentleness means weakness. We think meek means weak. Let me tell you something, Jesus was, weak. Jesus was meek. He was not weak. Gentleness or meekness means might or power restrained. The opposite of gentleness are anger, a desire for revenge, 
and self-aggrandizement. Sounds like a lot of our political leaders. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Then Matthew 21, 5 is the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And he says, Tell daughter Zion, Look, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Quoting Zechariah 9, 9. The Son of God, the most powerful entity on this planet at that time, rode to his persecution and execution in gentleness on a donkey. Not on a big white horse with a shield and a sword, but on a donkey. He rode into Jerusalem and he laid down his life so that we could pick up ours. He laid down his life so we could pick up his. Gentleness, meekness. I want you to understand that when we say that we're going to live like Christ, understand that tossing temple tables is still on the table. It's still an option. There is godly anger. There is, there is a, a way that you can be godly and still take a stand and be bold and, and show restraint with your power, but not show weakness. Gentleness is balancing that weakness with meekness and power and understand that we are supposed to be gentle as a dove but as crafty as a serpent. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of your calling, the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. So he tells us what to flee. He tells us what to follow, who to follow. And then he says we are to fight. I love this, that Paul tells us we're to fight. He says, fight the good fight for the faith in verse 12. All right, I'm going to give you these quickly. Fight, that first fight means to struggle or contend with an adversary. And then good is valuable and virtuous. And then the second time he uses fight, he means a contest or a conflict or a race. And then that word faith is the Greek word pistis, which means good faith, faithfulness, sincerity. So we're supposed to struggle like we're fighting with an adversary for the good contest in good faith. That sounds like it takes effort to me, doesn't it to you? That doesn't sound like it's going to be easy. That sounds like we're going to roll the ball out to midfield and the other team is going, to, is going to surrender. It sounds like we're going to have to buckle up our chin strap and get some blood and mud on our uniform before this thing is over with. Then he says to take hold of eternal life. That phrase emphasizes there is effort required. Take hold is not, I'm going to hand it to you and you put it in your pocket. It is grab it. Hold it. Squeeze it. Don't let it go. Grit your teeth and dig your fingers into it and hold on to it. Take hold is the use of strength, perseverance, and overcoming adversity to keep our testimony and reach our goal. And what, what are we supposed to take hold of this eternal life to which you were called? That word called is kaleo, which is the call of God for us to repent. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 9. And he says, and have made a good confession. The word good there is talking about good doctrine. The confession is a profession of faith in Jesus. Our fight must include our public profession of faith in Christ alone. Now we're going to get back. Hold on to that good confession. We're going to get back to that in just a second. So he tells us what to flee. tells us what to follow. He tells us where to fight. But then he shows us finally our format. Paul gives us our format. In these two verses, 13 and 14. In the presence of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's talking about. Three things. The presence of God, number one, because God sees how we fight. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19, we're the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells within us. He's watching what you flee from. He's watching what you pursue. And He's watching how you live out your profession of faith. So the presence of God and also the pattern of Jesus. Jesus shows us how to fight. That same phrase, good confession, where it says Jesus gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, is the same phrase when it says we're to have a good confession. Now think about the pressure of that. You're not comparing your testimony to mine. You're comparing your testimony to His. Think about the depth of that. I love that when God sets a bar, He sets it high. Praise Jesus, because the only thing worse than aiming high and missing is aiming low and hitting. He says, your good confession and His good confession should match up. It's the standard by which we are to be judged is the standard of Jesus Christ giving His testimony of His faith in the Father. Philippians 2.5 says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. The Bible can't be clearer about that. It's said that uh, his, Dr. Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma, one of our greatest missionaries, his wife was reading these press clippings, these news articles, and she was kind of messing with him a little bit, and so she was talking about him because they were comparing him to some of the apostles. And so she's reading them and he's listening. And then he said this. Nor do I want to be like them. I don't want to be like Paul. Nor Apollos. Nor Cephas. Nor any mere man. I want to be like Christ. We have only one perfectly safe exemplar. Only one who tempted like as we are at every point is still without sin. I want to follow him only. Copy his teaching. Drink from his spirit. Place my feet in his footprints and measure their shortcomings by these and only these. Oh, to be more like Christ. That would be our prayer. Amen? And then the last one of those three is the performance of our duty. We succeed in the fight only through obedience. 1 John 2, 3. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. I want you to get this. I want everybody to dial in for just a minute. If you want to know how to be a real man, pattern yourself after what it looked like when God did it. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created, were created, were created through Him. That's Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became Flesh. He was 100% man, 100% God. If you want to know how to be a real man, look at what it looked like when God did it. Don't pattern yourself after some action star. Don't pattern yourself after some football or basketball or baseball star. Don't pattern yourself after a politician or, or a, a world leader or anything else. Pattern yourself after Jesus. I want to close with this. Paul tells us what to flee, what to follow. He tells us where to fight, and then he shows us our format. So the obvious question for you today, for me today, is how are we doing when it comes to this advice that Paul gives? How are we doing? Are you fleeing from the wrong stuff? Are you following the right stuff? Are you fighting the good fight? Are you following the right example? See, there was a phrase used back early on when computers first became popularized, and, and this was, you may not, some of y'all old people, like me, well, some of y'all kids are like, they didn't have computers? How did you live without computers? Oh, we did it. 
Here's the phrase, garbage in, garbage in, garbage out. I got a Texas Instruments computer when I was a little kid, a little stupid kid. I thought, I was so excited. Man, I'm going I'm to learn about computers. So the, I got this Texas Instruments computer, had a monitor. A, it was about the size of this speaker. I think the screen was like that big. A little, little keyboard that plugged into it. And then I got this book. And in that book, it had all this code. And so it was like, I found the shortest one. I think the shortest one was like eight pages of code. And I couldn't type. I can type now, but I couldn't type then. So I'm like, I'm looking at the thing and I'm going, tch, 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 tch. Backspace. Tch. And I typed this whole thing, eight pages of this code. It took me forever. And I got to the very end. I think the last was like C colon backslash backslash execute or something. And I was so excited. I was like, type this whole thing in. Now we're about to see what the result is. I hit return and went, eh. And I looked at the bottom of the screen and it said syntax error. I didn't know what a syntax was. But I knew I had an error. So I had to look it up and it said syntax error means you entered a line of code wrong. All right, so I'll go back, the whole book. Looking at the screen, looking at the thing. Couldn't find it. Made a couple changes, hit return, eh. Syntax error. Had to get my mom to come look at it with me. She figured out where I messed up and she fixed it. So I'm all excited. I hit return and it printed out. See, y'all kids don't know why. That's funny. Y'all don't know that. You hear all these old people laughing? It's because they know the pain of having to sit for 10 minutes to wait for something to print out. Now y'all hit print and it goes push. Like 10 minutes, back and forth, back and forth. And I pull it out, and it's a cornucopia. Horn of plenty, you know, printed out in black and white, like little X's and 1's or whatever. And I was like, that's stupid. I spent like a week of my life to print out a cornucopia? But why did it say syntax error? Why did it, why did it not print out what I wanted it to print out? Because I had garbage in. I had typed the wrong, are y'all getting this? That's not my TI-64 book. That's the Word of God. If you'll put this in, y'all listen to me, church. If you'll put this in, every line of code, if you'll put it in, I promise you, you won't get garbage out. Now watch what I did. I didn't promise you you won't have trouble. I didn't promise you you won't get cancer. I didn't promise you you won't have job loss and, and disappointment and heartache and struggle. What I promised you is that if you put the good Word of God in your life, it will come out. Listen to what the Bible says, Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Garbage in, garbage out. You don't think it matters what you watch? The Super Bowl will charge somebody $7 million for a 30-second ad, and you don't think it matters what you watch? You don't think it matters what you click on? Hello? Come on, somebody tell me. Does it matter? If it matters, then make a change in your life. If it matters, make sure you're putting the Word of God in so that you won't get garbage out. Proverbs 4.23 says this way, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I don't know who to quote, who to give credit for this quote, but it's an old redneck saying, whatever's down in the well comes up in the bucket. That's what Proverbs 4 is really saying. The Kevin 
translation of that would be, whatever's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So you better make sure the stuff you're putting in the well is this stuff. Pursue the good stuff. Flee from all the negativity and all the hate and all the violence and all the meanness and all just the ungodliness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue endurance. Pursue self-control. Pursue humility. Pursue gentleness. Chase after Jesus with everything that you've got every day of your life. Put the good word in and watch the good things come out. But if you don't do that, if you put garbage in, I promise you, you'll get garbage out. Can I just tell you this morning, I love everybody in here. And I'm not trying to throw anything by anybody, but I just want to talk to the men for a second, all right? If you're a man, if you're a dad especially, I want you to listen to me. Hey, dads, your wife needs you. Hey, dad, your kids need you. Hey, dad, your church needs you. And the only way you're going to be any cotton-picking good to any of them is if you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And watch what He does with your family. Watch what He does through your life. Watch how many people come to Christ. Like I said, I didn't have a great dad growing up when my dad was an alcoholic, when, when his addiction was controlling him. I had two great months with my dad before he died. But God saw fit to put so many other people in my life to help lead me and guide me and... Raymond Taylor was my pastor at First Assembly in Florella, another godly man who had a huge impact on me. Don't, don't live your life so selfishly that you don't invest in others. Don't, don't, don't pursue these other things in life and leave these good things that God has given us for, for just to, to go to dry on the vine. Give your life to Christ and watch what He can do with it. Let's pray. If you would stand with me. We're not going to take a long time in this invitation, but I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. And listen to me, guys. I know it's embarrassing to walk down front. I had to do it one time at 26 years old, or tw almost 26, at 25 years old, I had to walk down front, and everybody in the church thought I was saved, and I had to walk down there and prove them wrong, and then prove them right. So I'm not telling you that it's easy, but I want you to hear me. Everybody listen to me. Be man enough to make a stand for Christ, even if that means you have to walk down here and tell everybody, hey, I need Jesus. Because I got news for you. I need Him too. Now, he's the Lord of my life and He's the Savior of my soul, but I still need Him every day. So let's pray. Father God, thank You for this day and thank You for the power that is in Your Scriptures. God, I pray that everything that is from you would have stuck and anything from me would just fall to the ground. And God, I pray that You would give somebody in this service boldness God, if there's anybody here that does not know Christ, I pray that they would turn their life over to Him today, repent of their sins, confess Him as Savior, and follow Him. God, I pray if there's anybody here today that's just struggling, it's just backslidden, it's just not living for Jesus the way they know they're supposed to, I pray that today would be a day to, to hear a, a now you or but you moment where they pivot from that other stuff, the things that are pulling at them, and they pursue you. They flee from the bad and they pursue the good. God, whatever you want to do in this invitation, I pray that you'd do it. Now, if you just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just one minute, I promise you, we're not going to linger. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't know for sure that you've given your heart and soul to Jesus, just come down here right now. Just come talk to me. We've got counselors at both of these doors. We've got a system set up to still maintain social distancing and be able to pray with you. If you need to come to Christ today, move. Don't wait move. And don't worry about embarrassment. Jesus hung on a cross naked for you. I think it's okay for you to walk down the aisle and come make a public profession of faith in Him today.
Maybe you're here this morning and you just don't know why, but you're not pursuing the right things. You're not fleeing from the wrong things. You're in a dry spot, a low place in your faith. You know Christ, but you're not living sold out to Him. If that's you today, come talk to me. Come talk to one of our counselors. If you want hope, you've got to do the work. If you want hope, it takes proven character. If it takes proven character, it's going to require endurance. Everybody look at me for just a minute. If you're here today and you need to join the church, you can do that now. Uh, you can come talk to me, talk to one of our counselors, and we'll get your information. Uh, if you're not currently connected somewhere, we'd love to have you serve with us. Uh, you can do that now as well. Um, we've, again, we've got counselors at both doors that'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, I want to just tell you how much I appreciate you all being here today. I want to say thank you to all of our fathers. Can we just give our dads a, a round of applause this morning? And I can tell you this, there, there are a lot of men who, uh, who are dads, but they've also been dads to other kids just by the way they've influenced and encouraged. And, uh, and I know that in my life that's true, and I'm sure many of you could say the same thing. But happy Father's Day to you. We're thankful for you being here. Uh, don't forget the uh, picnic, family picnic for the uh, kids' ministry on July 1st, and then the youth outdoor event that needs a name before I call it Yo uh, on July 3rd. That Friday is going to be a great time. Um, if you need to get your reservations in for next week, please go ahead and do that. Uh, we also, we posted a video today on our Facebook page for Father's Day. So if you haven't had a chance, go look at that. Uh, we'll also, can we get that on uh, YouTube as well? Okay, we'll get that on YouTube as well. Hey, thank you all so much for being here. God bless you. I love you, church. I'm so thankful we're able to meet again. For those visiting with us, thank you so much. I know this is a weird time with this pandemic. But uh, if you'll connect with one of us and give us some information, uh, if you want to know more about our church, we'd love to share that with you. For those of you watching at home, thank you so much. Uh, we're praying for you guys that you stay healthy and safe. Uh, if you need to make a decision, you can email me, kevin at wemochurch.org, or you can message the church or call the office, and we'll set up a time to counsel with you. Uh, you can make a decision for Jesus through the Internet. I promise it'll be okay. Uh, but we want to help you in any way we can. Let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this family of faith that you've called us to at Westmobile. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in and through us. And I thank you for our dads. God, I pray that you'd bless them in a powerful way today. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.